0: time and space. Everywhere and anywhere, every star that ever was. Where do you want to start? We've escaped from the Aztec temple in the corner of the BBC Lime Grove studio, and we've run out of molybdenum. So
1: let's land on a nondescript spaceship and look for some more. I'm Ian. And I'm Mark, and welcome to all of Time and Space. This time round we're going to be looking at the sensorites. And when we come back we'll be joined by Ben Schneider.
0: Out there is a planet we call the Sensphere. Creatures, the Sensorites, somehow they have some control over our brains. Doctor.
2: The Sensorites! Get back! Get away!
0: No, 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 none of you can ever leave the sense sphere. What do they want with us? I don't know. It is useless to resist. Surrounded by enemies. You're in no position to threaten us. I don't make threats, but I do keep promise. I shall cause you more trouble than you
3: bargain for. The doctor is near death. The
2: other two approach death. I see victory for all my parents.
1: So now it's time to welcome our guest. It's the wonderful Ben Schneider. Hello, Ben. Hi there. Hello. Hi. How you doing?
3: I'm pretty good. Ian, Mark, all of time and space. Yes, all (laughs) of it. Now I have to ask all, as in all. Like, are you guys going to do dimensions in time? Question mark. Of course. Of course.
1: That's that's it's a classic. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. Okay. Are you going to (laughs) do K
3: nine and uh, company?
1: Um, that might be a bonus episode. You uh, the, Air zone uh, solution, maybe? Possibly. All right, we'll draw the line somewhere. All right, yeah, yeah. If, if the doctor's
0: not in it or... or you know oh god we're all day
1: <laughs> but that had
0: like eight <laughs> doctors in it man come
1: on yeah, well yeah Yeah, and it had colin baker in bed with nicola Bryant. that's not good yeah there's some
0: <laughs> things some things i don't want to see it's something just, i never seven. knew
3: i never wanted to see do you guys remember the uh good old days when the big question was whether or not we had to include the paul McGann movie those those were the oh
1: days. everything's canon now it's great yeah
0: I was I, That was always canon for me. There was never any question mm. about Paul McGann being canon.
1: Yeah, I love that uh, Peter Cushing's canon now as well. It's great. Peter Cushing. You know, I've I've always had a kooky
3: theory about him, but uh, that'll take mm. it up an entire podcast. I'm sure we have other things <laughs> we need to talk about here.
0: Well, if we run out of things to say about this week's story, maybe we'll come back to Peter Cushing. Cause, All um, right. Deal. Yeah. This, this could be quite quite a brief one. Anyway, gentlemen, <laughs> before we kick off with uh, the censorites, you know what time it is, don't you?
1: Oh yes, it's it.
0: time for the glory of my quiz. Uh, what I what mm-hmm. I try and do, um, Ben, is just to kind of recreate the zeitgeist of what was happening in the world at the time the story was first broadcast. I okay. I like to ask really stupid trivia questions about <laughs> about that time um, and people sort of complain and say it's insanely difficult and i am a fool but i i don't listen to them because well, haters you shouldn't hate. tell me what i should say you should just wait and see if i actually say that you know well i'm just saying if if you if you do say it all i'm saying is you won't be coming back <laughs> so all right um, fine
3: fine take your little uh, quiz and bring us back to
0: the joy that was june 1964 i'm ready go that's precisely what I'm going to do. Question one. Question one. Wh- Go. Which member of everyone's favourite cartoon family, The Simpsons, was born in July
1: 1964? Uh... Dan Castle letter.
3: Who gets to go first, or do we have to well,
0: Mark, buzz in? Or? we just—you just, just shout Dive out. in there. Just shout oh, okay. out. Yeah. Okay. right. Mark's, Mark's that got that possibly, it wrong, Ian.
1: Yeah, you're right. Oh. You're
0: right. i have i have taken Mark off of my score already for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's not the guy who ben. plays Homer. It's not the guy who plays Homer. would There's it be? There, uh, ready for you to grab it. Uh, Abraham
0: Simpson. It's a nice guess, but I'm afraid it's woefully inaccurate. Woefully inaccurate. Okay, fine. That guy. Hans Moleman, Uh Mo. I, I don't know. <laughs> Poochie! Oh, Poochie! Poochie. It's gotta be Poochie! Wrong, sadly wrong. The answer uh, I'm afraid, okay. guys, is and I might be pronouncing this wrong, Yardley Smith, who plays Lisa Simpson. Uh, oh, I thought uh, you meant yeah. I thought
3: you meant the character on the show, not the Well ac- no, because that
0: uh, that would be that would be crazy. Oh, okay, alright. <laughs> so anyway, Already um, lost that's it See <laughs> hey hey it's it's a draw it's going it's going really well this one time.
1: and done ben all right one and fine done.
0: question it. 2 two ready go come on come on ben i've got a feeling this one's for you um yeah. july the 9th 1964 courtney michelle harrison was born in san francisco under which stage name would she eventually find fame
3: ah uh, elton john it's no. close. It's so That's close. Not it. That's Ooh. not it. That's not it. That's
0: not it. But no. it's not right. Uh,
3: uh, the girl from Blondie. No. It, was no. Not, no. it
1: was not uh, Deborah Harry. It was not Deborah Harry. Um, oh. oh, lordy! No, I don't know. Go on, put us out with
3: I, I honestly don't know. I really don't. The
1: know. The answer is Courtney
0: Love. Oh. You may remember her from such things oh. as being, yeah, being married to Kurt Cobain. And she was born in sixty oh. four. Sixty four.
3: Wow, oh, I There's, thought I thought she was a tad bit younger than that. Okay, all right.
0: I know. Suddenly, I feel really conflicted. When I sorry, anyway. Courtney. Okay, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> question three, <laughs> and this is a, a more of a, a TV entertainment question. Yeah. On July the eleventh, nineteen sixty-four, the actor who portrayed the last human cloister the stupid was born in Liverpool, UK. Name him.
3: Uh, it's Craig Charles.
0: It is Craig Charles. Hey! Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. In. <laughs> so, so Craig all those Charles years is...
3: of, uh, of uh, Red Dwarf playing on <laughs> PBS has finally paid off. All right. <laughs> I'm so pleased for you, sir. I have <laughs> to send in my donation. I cannot keep putting <laughs> that off.
0: I'm sorry, PBS. I owe you, like, $22, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't, because they'll... they'll... They'll be able to afford another series if you send them that much. <laughs> <laughs> question four. It's another what? music question.
3: Music, okay.
0: Christopher John Boyle was born in Seattle. Name one of the three bands he is primarily associated with.
3: Um, Hole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's good, Pearl Jam. but it's not right. right. Pearl Jam is not right.
2: Hmm.
0: Nirvana. Nirvana is not right the, oh, the Alison Chain. No, the answers are Soundgarden, Audio Slave or really tenuously Temple of the Dog. It's um, Chris Cornell. Oh, yeah. oh,
1: that guy.
0: Yeah. Casino Royale himself. Final <laughs> final question. <laughs> And I can't remember the scores now. I want to say it's one 0 Is it's it? It's one nil to Ben. Is it? Can, can, I, can
3: I just tell you? Yeah. This is my favorite Doctor Who podcast that that I have ever heard. This is this is amazing. Yeah.
0: Good. I'm glad. Because <laughs> to be honest, the professionality does sort of dip after the quiz. If I'm being honest. <laughs> anyway, question five: Which speed star was born this month in Arlington, Virginia? Speed star? Yeah. I don't know what kind of race. It was not Keanu Reeves.
1: Oh, the movie speech. <laughs> um, um, uh, uh, what's her name? The other one. The, the other one is correct. Blindside
3: lady. Um,
0: if
1: any of you can uh, tell me what her name is, I will give you the point.
3: Yeah, her. Uh, oh, what's her name? Um, Sandy B.
0: <laughs> that will do nicely, sir. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Two <laughs> points and a clear victory. Cobbly. It's a moral victory. It's a mathematical victory. It's a victory on paper. It's a yes. victory on Skype. Ben, sir, you are victorious.
1: This is the congratulations. St- the ben.
3: story of, of my life is uh, coasting by on on uh, the average, and uh, just so yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
1: <laughs>
3: I defer to Mark.
1: <laughs> I'm keeping up my record in this quiz. I'm right. doing really well. Anyway. Enough of this frivolity. Yes. Let's have a chat about a really exciting episode of Doctor Who. Okay. Or to
3: I'm censorites. Ready.
1: I'm going. I'm so pumped.
3: I'm excited. <laughs> I have censoritis. I'm ready to go. Uh... Go. Cue me in.
1: Go. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Okay. <laughs> we should probably come to Ian first because he hasn't seen that much of the black and white stuff. So, Ian. Oh, really? You first haven't? First thoughts. Hello. Um... Uh...
0: I, I don't. What? You see, I think you need I, like a uh, hug
3: or a pat on the back or something, man. You you sound. I
0: brilliant. I put it on and and then, and I was a young man, and I, <laughs> I, I, I I pressed play, and at the end of it, I'm a sort of confused, bumbling, grey-haired man, who can't act. <laughs> Um, I, so, yeah, I uh, am coming to this story completely fresh, having never seen it before. So my Mm -hmm. hot take uh, in stark opposition to, you know, obviously the received wisdom of the generations, my hot take is that it was really boring.
1: Well, Well, I'm not sure it's that much of a a deviation from what most people have said over the years. I think it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to the sensor rights from my experience anyway, I think. It's had a bit of a reputation. This was one that I was kind of dreading a bit before putting it on, and that's why I asked Ben to come on and talk about it. So uh, yeah, I'm so sorry, Ben. What makes you think I'm gonna like it? Come on, man. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Actually, Ian, Ian, question.
3: I thought yeah. that I thought that the received fan wisdom was that uh, this was a very boring, not very good story. Uh, which uh, mm. blogs have you been have you been reading that is trying to make you think the other way
0: well i don't i don't really read blogs so much but i'm sure when i was when i was a kid and the the target book came out i'm sure it was kind of and this is probably just the confused memories of a 10 year old kid reading a bit mm-hmm. of publisher's blurb on the back of a paperback but i'm sure it was heralded as a an early classic and um uh, you know every when everyone reviews it everyone always says you know if you're doing the watch through of doctor who then this is kind of the first um they call this one the widow maker um, and if you <laughs> if you oh. if you make it to the end of the sensorites you're probably going to be okay but a lot of people don't oh and, wow uh, uh, yeah
3: <laughs> well i think your podcast is smooth sailing coming up. After you get over this little hump, man, you're going to be fine. Well, that is the
0: best news I've had all day. That's yeah. even better than when right. when when episode 6 flashed up and I realized there was only another 4 hours to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
3: okay, I'll tell you what I feel. Do you know the really ironic thing, the, the personal irony for me personally? Mm-hmm. If this was a missing story, I would be obsessed with it. I mean, I would be yeah. just. I I would I would have the recon. I would have the uh, the little narrated CD thing. I would be staring at photos, trying to piece back together how it would have looked. I mean, because that's kind of how I am with all of the missing, lost uh, episodes. But mm-hmm. it's it's almost like I'm thankful that they have found this because it's saved years of my life obsessing over it you know know, it's like um so i'm very thankful to ian levine or whoever it was that actually pulled this up out of out of uh, the ocean back in the 80s and you know actually found it because let's be honest this episode this story this series it's slow it's freaking slow and it is Mm -hmm. bland especially in the middle it is unbelievably bland but i would argue the very first episode is amazing
1: Yeah, I have to say, I watched this for the podcast for the first time in a long time, Uh and I found myself being really surprised at just how engaged I was with the first episode. That first episode is so good. There
3: are so many amazing things happening in it, and then Mm -hmm. it's amazing, equally amazing, how after episode two, it just nosedives. It Hanks.
1: okay well let's stay positive for a while let's, <laughs> why don't you just mind you rattle off some of those positive things and, and the the good things that you thought were uh-huh. apparent in part one okay
3: okay because um okay some of the good things about part one that i really loved um for uh one thing that amazing shot where the uh tardis doors open and they physically walk mm. from the from the TARDIS set yeah. to the uh, rocket set. It's all in one mm-hmm. shot. They actually yeah. built the two sets there, and it just mm. creates this feeling of you're actually coming from the TARDIS into something else. There aren't any quick
1: cutaways. There yeah. aren't any CGI. It's just it's just this beautiful beautiful shot. I think I remember seeing that they'd moved them to Television Center having had them in Lime Grove up until this point. I think they still go back to Lime Grove for some of the shots, but um, I think the majority of it was done in Television Center, and they've got a lot more space to play with. So And um, so Lime that, uh,
3: Grown was, like, really, really tiny, right? It was in somebody's basement. It basket, was
1: minuscule, yeah. It's like a broom cupboard. Okay, okay. all right, yeah.
3: Because it's just, it, it it's so effective. It kind of reminds me of, um... There's a, sh- a shot in the actual pilot episode... Um, Mm-hmm. unearthly child that they didn't duplicate when they did the actual pilot when they or when they did the episode one of unearthly child yeah and it's when uh, Barbara first pushes open the uh, TARDIS and the camera follows her mm-hmm. out of the junkyard and into the yeah. uh, TARDIS and and then when they did mm-hmm. the remount of it it's just like this quick mm-hmm. cutaway thing and that first one yeah. was so much more uh, effective and so so this part in um, Sensorites. It it kind of took me back to that, and it really made me feel like uh, the guys who were actually making the looks and making the designs. I think it was it was probably Raymond uh, Cusick, wasn't it? who was doing it by this Yeah,
1: point. He, was a, he was a designer on the story. And yeah.
3: you could tell he really liked what he was doing. I mean, he mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's just, oh, it's, I love the way the ship looks. So Mervyn Pinfield was one of the associate producers, and he came on board to direct, and he was very keen on doing a lot of the technical stuff. Okay. And he really wanted to push the boundaries, and I think that's one of the reasons why you get shots like this coming in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think directorially, it's quite interesting, certainly the first episode, isn't yeah.
3: it? Yeah, and and okay, there's some, some, something else in the first episode that I absolutely loved was that amazing sequence where the sensorites, we assume, have taken over the ship and they're going to crash it into the planet. Mm-hmm. And it's suddenly, it's like, I don't know if, um, if uh, you guys noticed, but before that moment happened, Hartnell seemed a lot more tired than uh normal for mm-hmm. some reason. I mean, his like his uh dialogue and his uh line delivery, it was kind of weird. I mean, he was you could kind of feel like he was just kind of stumbling. But then for some reason, whenever that camera started to uh shake and Hartnell just snaps mm-hmm. right into action, takes control, he's shouting out uh, orders and it was really I don't know. There's something about it. It just had all of this um, yeah. really nice energy to it, and it was very, very like fast, kinetic. And mm-hmm. I kind of uh, noticed something. Uh, Hartnell puts on his his uh, his little specs, his little glasses, and he's like yeah. shouting out orders. And I wonder if it's because he had his dialogue taped down to the uh, little table <laughs> there, Be- because he seemed it seems like his acting just got so much
1: better when maybe he didn't have to worry about thinking about, you, you know, mm. lines. So, and, and I know he gets a lot of stick for messing up his lines, but I could count quite a few times where yeah. some of the guys playing the sensorites fluffed their lines. Oh, yeah. I don't remember him and doing it. <laughs> but But, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just like suddenly, I mean, he just takes control,
3: and it's a really nice scene, and then it ends with the camera... Looking over Barbara's shoulder, and you see the uh, mm-hmm. view screen, and you see the planet coming coming at him, and then the planet kind of mm-hmm. veers off. And um, yeah, I cool, didn't I didn't notice this at at uh, first, but when the doctor gives the final order and they throw the final switch, he turns his mm-hmm. back to the uh, to the uh, view screen, and he does it really really mm-hmm. fast, and it's almost like. He's like, okay. I really hope I didn't uh, mess up, and I don't want to see if I did mess up, and uh, we all <laughs> yeah. die horribly. And 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 then, like I said, it switches over to over Barbara's shoulder, and you see the planet come in come into view. And I mean, I mean mm-hmm. it is, it's. A very cheap sequence as far as special effects uh, go, but the uh, but the freaking camera work, the sound effects, mm-hmm. the POV over Barbara's shoulder—it's just a very cool scene. And then it ends yeah. with this great shot of uh, yeah. that Captain Guy Maitland. That's a
1: great cliffhanger. He
3: like he like no no no. I mean that sequence. That sequence ends with the like Captain Guy. He just has this depression on his face, and he puts his hands on his head, and he just goes, why couldn't I do it? And I was like, oh, dude, I have so been there.
2: <laughs> great.
3: But then, like you said, that very last, that cliffhanger is so good. I don't know if you want to talk about that cliffhanger now or talk about other things, but it, Oh freaking great. <laughs> Sorry. Maitland. Maitland. That's the uh, captain's name. Mm. Just...
1: Yeah, Yeah. he reminded me of an actor called Andrew Bucken. Don't know him. I don't know if you're aware of him, Ian Uh, and Ben.
0: Nope, never heard of him.
1: He played Matt Smith's brother in uh, the BBC series Party Animals. He's been in loads of stuff since. Oh. He's just been in an Amazon Prime thing. Mm. Alex Ryder.
0: Alex Ryder. Oh, that's for kids.
1: Yeah. um So yeah, he's just been in Alex Ryder on Amazon Prime. Okay.
0: And is is Andrew Bucken a good actor? He is a very good actor actually. And Maitland okay. reminds you of him?
1: Well, visually. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Their appearance wise. I mean okay, kinda similar.
3: like kinda like the uh freaking zombie guy, John. He looks just like broad like
0: broadchurch era david uh, Tennant i th- i thought you know <laughs> i did a couple re- of times i did see that actually yeah
3: yeah he yeah. doesn't really act it-
0: act like him but uh, god
3: there's no. a couple
1: of moments where he's just like i think he gets better as the story goes on he definitely does just,
0: i think i think the wig yeah. maybe tones it down a bit because the wig <laughs> is sort of upstaging the rest of him really quite badly <laughs> but uh, oh. as it as it goes on he does sort of you know become the dominant presence in that in that setup, mm-hmm. but let's please go back to Maitland. Maitland, how is that? How is that, how is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> in a, you know, in something that's being paid for and broadcast by grown-ups. I mean, he was—he's <laughs> you know, just so have... chipper and freaking happy. I mean, he like wakes up
3: out of this freaking um, stupor, and he's not bothered by. You know, stowaways or whatever He's all like, oh, hey there, golly gee I'm from Central uh, uh, City How are you guys? He's just He's just freaking chipper. <laughs> well, and... Didn't you
1: yeah, well, <laughs> did you think it was a bit kind of full on for a kid's show? They come out and they're like, oh, yeah, they're both dead. Well, I better go then. I love that. Do we I, can do for them? I I'm love like, oh, that.
3: Okay. I mean, Hartnell was uh, just like, eh, they're dead. Nothing we can do. Yeah. Come on. Let's just Yeah, yeah, yeah screw, screw these
1: losers. <laughs> but then
0: they so, what, he, he puts a little buzzing thing on his chest and hes he yeah. wakes up from being yeah. dead and he just sort of looks <laughs> around and then he's like, well. Uh, uh, well he's obviously in hyper sleep or
1: something, like, isn't either he? Either, guys. asleep." Hungover, more like.
0: I mean,
3: for someone who is, we are told, suffering from traumatic brainwashing, he's just, unless that is a result of the brainwashing, maybe <laughs> he's like actually this tyrant captain guy and the sensorized brainwashing
1: has turned him into the, hello there, guys, how are you? You know, he's just... <laughs> oh, could be, could be. Wow, that's a great theory. Oh, gosh but... Susan, what do we think about Susan? I think this is one of her better ones she has been pretty whiny and generally not that good for the majority of what we've seen so far but i think they give her a bit more to do in this one and she gets a bit of that weirdness back that we saw in the pilot episode
3: i i guess all of that good things that they're trying to do for him it's I, i can't get past the outfit and it's sort of like I mean, I mean, there's actually a part where she's complaining to the uh, to the doctor that you know he treats her like a uh, child. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, maybe if he didn't dress like a, a three year old, he might. <laughs> be, be, I, I don't know. I I see what they were trying to do, but I mm. it, I'm still I I've always had trouble really en- engaging with uh, Susan. Something. I don't know if maybe the... Yeah. I don't know. You guys have started watching this from episode one till um, mm-hmm. till now. So this is definitely her best uh, turn, would you would you say?
1: Well, it's one of the better ones, certainly. I think Marco Polo was probably a high point mm-hmm. for her. But, yeah, generally, she just... Yeah, she's not that well served, I've got to say. I, what do you think, Ian?
0: I think, yeah, this uh, in this story, she's given rather more to do than the usual, which is... You know, just to mm-hmm. walk three steps and then scream and then walk another three <laughs> steps and then scream again.
1: Um, Possibly because Jackie Hill's on holiday. I mean, part of my dude. problem there is,
0: is, is is
3: yeah, they're giving her more to uh, do, but the doctor keeps yelling at her to stop doing that and to come and stand over <laughs> here. And so it's like the story is completely cutting, cutting off any yeah c- coolness that they're trying to get back in to her and mm-hmm. and uh, then you see her dress dressed like she's going to uh, preschool i
0: just <laughs> yeah. i'm just like ah. Oh. I'm like, oh, Barbara! Can mm-hmm. we all just go with you and
1: um, on vacation I with Barbara you? So there is, much I, the I think,
0: there is a moment quite near the start of part two where the cast realize they they've got another five weeks of this shit, <laughs> <laughs> and you you can sense they're all racing to put in their their holiday requests. And Barbara obviously mm-hmm. gets up to the producers' office first uh, and and gets you know a week off, and uh, she's very lucky. And 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 that's <laughs> I think why she comes out of this story the most favorable mm. of all of them because she's and guilty, the most by, tans, guilty yeah. by association to the the <laughs> smallest extent. <laughs> if
3: you guys listening, if you ever watch Sensorites from beginning to, to end, if you actually make it over that mountain, there are so many instances where the dialogue between the four... Regulars are like, gosh, I can't wait till we get back to the uh, to the ship. Gosh, I hope they give us back the uh, Tardis lock. Gee, I wonder what mm-hmm. Barbara's doing. I wish we could go and see her. Gee, I wish we could get off this planet. I have never watched an episode where the cast members were openly complaining about how much they wanted to get out of this story than like this one. It's it's constant almost, and it's funny when it, whenever I think it's in episode three when. They tell Barbara she has to stay on the uh, ship. She's told like, "Oh yeah, fine, cool. You you guys go on down. I'm <laughs> just going to stay here. I got no problem. <laughs> Everything's fine. Go on."
2: You know, she's
0: just... <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> <laughs> Be thinking of you. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean it's it's. Oh. It's 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 just incredible. Mm-hmm. Going back to episode one, which obviously oh, everyone mm-hmm. else but me is a massive fan of, the moment <laughs> Okay the moment where one of the Sensorites <laughs> uses a you know, a dental floss thing to burn out the lock of the TARDIS when he's uh-huh. at most three meters away from the rest of the TARDIS crew who are all looking everywhere but <laughs> at the TARDIS. How how bad was that on a scale of one to <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was terrible.
3: But <laughs> I I think the reason why I like it... I mean, I don't like it like it, but the reason why I, I I guess I'm giving it a pass is because it's part of... There's so many interesting things going on. And to me, that's mm-hmm. just something insane that uh, happens to almost to the point where I love it because it's something insane and totally implausible. Uh, now, if something like that had happened in, like, episode 4 where it's surrounding by boring and bland I would totally be like I I I would totally have a different atti- attitude to it but because episode 1 I think is so in- interesting yeah it's a, a very bad scene and it doesn't make sense but I kind of oddly love it because it's just part of this it's just part of the general crazy that's making this first episode fun to me but I can mm-hmm. totally yeah it's it's it doesn't make sense, true.
0: I think the problem watching watching the series all the way through from the start is we've now seen this is what, story number seven? And yeah. we've seen this happen I think seven times now. They land, they walk two meters away from the TARDIS, and something happens that means they can't get back <laughs> in it. Either it gets <coughs> yep. hidden, you know, hidden, blown up, stolen Tied to Marco, it, Polo the, yeah, the Marco Polo um, takes away the keys. Marco Polo takes away the keys. The Aztecs brick it up inside a sarcophagus. Wasn't there know, a whatever. force
3: field in Marinus or something? Or something? Yep. Oh yeah. That? yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There was
0: a force. You know, and it's and it's an artifice that the show mercifully has done away with. um And I I hope it doesn't get, carry on for much longer. I mean, I can I can <laughs> remember. There's a few more examples of it coming up, but. Um, yeah, it just it just seems really clumsy, and I think already we're at the stage where the the people writing should have more confidence in the character's ability to stay in the story. Um,
1: I guess they're still working out what it is at this point, aren't they? You know, we're still. It's like they need a reason so. for stuff to happen, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: But you I know, guess, it's, yeah. um, Did you guys notice how there's also this water theme that keeps popping up in the first series? Like, where water is trying That's to actually, true. like, kill them. Mm. Like, uh, in um, in uh, Keys of uh, Marinus, the water is full of acid, and it's going to vaporize yeah. a board and Ian's tie. And then yeah. in, um, what was it, uh, Aztecs, there's like Aztecs, this, the you know, uh, there's it's like, drought where they're not getting en- yeah. enough water. And so they have to do the human sacrifices and... Uh,
1: and then he nearly gets, gets um, washed in away the, in uh, the yeah uh, yeah that's it and, yeah and um, uh, there's another Marco big one too
0: Polo with, oh the tegan yeah, guy
1: the tegan guy yeah he yeah. like uh,
3: poisons everything trace it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's like there's this constant <laughs> Rabbits. and and then like uh here the water is causing uh, coronavirus on the uh, sense spirit <laughs> it's so it's <laughs> i I can't remember the next episode i don't think there's a water thing but that's kind of been a big
0: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, so they, get some more ideas,
0: guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's either it's water or it's radiation or it's um <laughs> or it's something else. Ian can propound about in an incredibly boring, patronising science teacher kind of way. <laughs> oh, it's the extruded lengths of the waveforms. Is it really? You Is the it analog? really, Ian? It's an unsuppressed was... motor. Everyone knows knows that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll suppress his motor. Oh.
3: Okay, something else about episode 1. I generally like yeah. the premise that that does not get paid off that these are mind control aliens that are brainwashing mm-hmm. them, you know. I mean, it's it's kind of a scary concept, especially when you uh when when you look at the episodes that have come prior to this. It's kind of this Brand new way of of you know attacking and scaring someone is like the aliens are controlling your mind. You know, are the aliens making you crash into uh, the uh, planet? You know, are the aliens keeping you from being able to move everything? You know, the aliens are. Mm -hmm. are making John crazy and the aliens are making you do do things and as you're like watching this you're probably thinking that the whole series is going to be them trying to battle against the alien brainwashing there's no way that it's going to devolve into political whimpering you know no way it's it's so cool (laughs) 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 here um
0: Ah, uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, such a good point. And
3: and uh, there's mm. there's other things like just on the uh, design element. I I have to hand hand to God. I love the cute little <laughs> rocket uh, ship <laughs> labels that they have on their uh, jackets. You know, it's just adorable.
1: Uh, <laughs> I suppose they're supposed to be functional, aren't they? But yeah, it just looks it, just it looks a- quite. It looks 1950s. I know it It looks like a uh, kids
3: show. There's so much about this that kind of makes it feel like a kids show too. But there's something about it where I'm just, especially in this first episode. There's so many interesting things going. I'm just kind of just rolling uh, with it. Now by episode three, I'm going to get very angry and tired of it all. But but (laughs) by episode one, I'm I'm still just loving it and. um, yeah, I, I, it's just there's a lot of suspense there. I think. Yeah, there's absolutely suspense cause, and there's a lot of quietness, you know, where they're mm. just kind of letting a scene play out and try to bring up that creepy factor, you you know, and um,
2: yeah,
3: um, but but in, anyway, the creepy thing goes off the charts when they hit that mm. cliffhanger. That is, I swear, yeah. as bad as the rest of this uh, story is, that cliffhanger is <laughs> so good. It's so atmospheric. It is cool. And uh, for people who haven't seen it, you know, the uh, sensorites have come to the uh, ship in, like, Lima-bean-shaped spaceships, I might add, which just made me (laughs) laugh
0: out loud when I I saw that, you know?
3: (laughs) Ian, do you you remember
0: that part? (laughs) I I do. That was just before the darkness descended on me.
3: Yes! (laughs) 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 And, I mean, I literally laughed, but at the same time... I was kind of glad that they actually made an effort to show an actual ship of some kind because... Yeah, they didn't uh, actually, did they?
0: Yeah, they like, did. like, yeah. like yeah, totally. something that
3: used to frustrate me on the old Star Trek, like the 1960s Star Trek, when, whenever they would have an alien ship and they would put it up on the view screen, it would just be this multicolored paint blob thing. And that always used to bug me. Like, I wanted to see an an, an actual ship. So I was glad that they had, you know, made... <laughs> Some sort of an effort <laughs> to yeah, show sure. an alien
2: vessel.
3: <laughs> and speaking of uh, Star Trek, something I liked about this, too, is I like the way the sensorites look here in this first episode. Like, I really like mm-hmm. how they've actually tried to make an alien-looking race. They got weird heads and the, the feet. Come on, they went the extra mile and gave them round <laughs> toes, man.
1: And uh, be- because one they, of the things... They tripping all over them the whole time they were filming. <laughs> Gotta love them.
3: Because... In, yeah. It kind of made, made me think how on Star Trek, the next gener- generation,
1: they they got so lazy whenever they would show aliens. Whenever, whenever they you would... You've to sh- be walking like John Wayne to sort of walk along without tripping over their own <laughs> <laughs> Made them that much more tough, man. But on Star oh, Trek, yeah. whenever they would show an alien species,
3: they would just give them like a crinkled up nose or like a weird ear. Yeah. But here... In,
1: a ridge on their forehead, or right?
3: Something. Oh, like yeah. there you go, alien. And mm-hmm. but here are the sensorites, you know, they've actually got the weird upside down beard thing going. They got the sunken in yeah. eyes, and
1: they're pretty freaky.
3: And uh, and again, the round uh, the round feet. So I I appreciated the effort. I mean, sure, it's mm-hmm. it's going to not be good as we go along further. But again, in this first episode, um, and okay, here's a perfect symbol for how. It just tanks. It just starts to really tank after, after, after that first episode. Did you notice that when they did the reprise of the cliffhanger at the beginning of uh, episode mm-hmm.
0: two, they got a different sensorite? Did Did you guys notice? I, notice really that? I noticed he was standing in a different way, but I didn't. I'll let you into mm-hmm. a little secret. I couldn't really tell them apart. Okay. All right. Until until they. Oh, I think that might come into play hey, later. Hey, you know, um, because they <laughs> all look like um, sort of.
1: You know, middle-aged. Ian, you're starting to sound like you might be a member of UKIP. No,
0: they, they just, they all, they all look like um, testicles. All their, all their heads. <laughs> <clears throat> they just look like testicles <laughs> with, with okay. round feet and and grey velour running equipment.
3: If if you are interested to looking back at, at at this, if you look at the end of episode one at the uh, cliffhanger, you know you've got the really cool alien kind of acting like he's floating. He puts his hands up on the uh, glass. He's looking in. His mm-hmm. uh, hair is real stringy and crazy, and the music is great. You go back to episode yeah. two at the very be- beginning. They don't replay mm-hmm. the, the the shot from last week. They actually re react it and right. it comes to that yeah. to that point Ian says doctor doctor look and they go to the window and this is he's not creepy he just basically stands there he doesn't hold up his hands <laughs> he's like his hair is freaking combed I mean, the the alien from episode one was all floaty and spooky with this weird, crazy-ass beard, and this guy just stands up, and yeah. it's terrible, mm-hmm. and I think this is a symbol of how the rest of the story is going to go, because they couldn't even get the remount of the episode one cliffhanger <laughs> right.
0: So that's just bothered me. <laughs> that is a that is a brilliant observation and entirely true. I mean, when I saw it and, and I noticed it was, I didn't notice it was a different one because they all looked uh-huh. the same to me. Um, but he was standing, you know, slightly slightly taller, you know, shoulders thrust back, and I had this horror that he
1: was going to maybe launch into a song. <laughs> Ian, going back to what you were saying about them all looking the same to you, yes, right? yeah. yes. And obviously that plays out a little bit further down the line. Oh yeah, it's a big plot Um, point, man. There's a very renowned uh, movie reviewer on BBC Radio called Mark Kermode, who's brilliant. And he refers to what he calls chubby hmm moments. Say that again? Chubby, Chubby hmm. Chubby hmm, okay. And that's... That's from when uh, he watched the, the Carpenters story. You know, Karen Carpenter and Richard Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where she's reading an article about the Carpenters and it says about her being a little bit overweight and she's like, chubby. Hmm. And that's really sort of hitting you over the head with just you know how much that's got to her. Oh. And there's a moment like that in The Censorites where he's like, "Hmm, you say that none of you can... Tell us the difference between us when we're walking around we could just change our sashes and no one would know. Yes. Uh, so yep,
2: there we go. So I've been listening
0: to a lot of um,
1: Australian
2: podcasts and
0: I believe we call this lamp shading now, don't we? Oh do I we? I think we do. Yeah. What oh okay.
3: Wait, what, what do you mean? When you're talking about something you haven't gotten to when, yet or when,
0: no, when you when you in a in a diegetic sense, when you state the bleeding obvious and beat people over the head with it, <laughs> oh, you are okay. you are lampshading. Um, oh, I think
1: I prefer chubby. Hmm.
0: Well, I, it sounds a bit like it sounds like a euphemism for a, a semi, and I I, <laughs> you, you I don't, don't want <laughs> to think of Mark Commode in that state of medium <laughs> arousal.
3: You know, I don't, I don't want to give excuses for this episode, but it, it just suddenly occurred to me moments like uh, that where the where the alien looks right at the camera and goes, "Huh, that never occurred to me hmm. before," or where, where they're overly hmm. explaining things. This this in a, in a way, this episode feels the most kid show in a weird way Mm -hmm. and it kind of reminds me how people were really critical of uh 2005 series one uh world war three aliens of uh london because it seemed like the Mm -hmm. quality suddenly got suddenly took a bit of a a dip and it was a bit more farty aliens to make all of the uh all the kids laugh and the Mm -hmm. the justification that i had always heard was that they hadn't really figured out what tone they were gonna go for yet, like, are they gonna make it more of a kids show or more of a drama? And maybe, maybe here with Sensorites, the the writer or the producer or whatever they were, they were kind of playing with, you know, we need to make this more obvious for the uh, for the uh, kids, you know. So we need to have the bad guy look at the camera and say, "I never realized that we all look the exact same except for our neckties," and
0: you know, so i think that that could be true but it's pretty much the only aspect of the story that could in any way be aimed at children i mean the rest of it is so dull the aliens (laughs) the aliens you know as i've said they're they're testicle old men testicle headed old men who sort of (laughs) whisper and wang on about their you know their political nonsense Mm -hmm. and the censorite nation even though it's a planet i mean
1: um well, the, the evil bad guy, the. Um, what's he referred to? City as he, administrator.
3: The, the guy
1: with the black that's collar. The guy, the, yeah. The one who looks like so a he would have, Yeah, he would have been known to kids, uh, well, if he had his mask off, at home because he was uh, a guy called Peter Glaze. And he was probably best known in the UK for a, a kids' show called Cracker Jack. And he always played sort of comedic parts and very sort of, you know bumbling idiot parts so i think he was really relishing playing someone who was incredibly evil but whether they would have picked up on his voice i don't know but again that's kind of aiming at the kids i suppose
0: i guess you're right he still imbued it with a, a faint element of bumbling but um <laughs> i suppose that might be bumbling through osmosis because uh, the, the rest of the testicle men were equally mm-hmm. bumbling and oh yeah i'm um, i
3: Totally get you because that was one of the other things about beginning in episode two is it suddenly switched from being these scary unknown aliens who are brainwashing you to now they're like, oh, turn on the light. The dark scares me. It's very I felt embarrassed for the uh, guys acting that way, you know, whenever they were like, turn on the light, turn off the light. It it was kind of hard to watch, you know, and it's just. Uh, and it just gets worse and worse as it goes on. And I'm sure there are cleverer, smarter people than me who would point out that, well, the whole premise of the story is that the scary aliens turn out to be uh, timid and they uh, need to be saved from scary humans that are killing them all. But, okay, fine, but mm-hmm. do we have to sit through five episodes of utter Tedium to make that well, point.
0: I mean luckily for us we don't because now that you've you've done that jump, we can just sort of we can start wrapping up I guess. Oh dude, you're totally
3: gonna be coasting from this point on, man. <laughs> uh, I,
0: I think it was around about five minutes into episode two I I started sort of vaguely checking Twitter and uh-huh. and Facebook. Mm-hmm. By episode four I,
1: always a bad I time. didn't
0: feel my legs and by Oh my god episode, episode six, four. I was I was oh. trying to end it all.
1: One thing I will say in its defense, I think we do get one of the first, uh, what I feel is like a proper doctorish moment that I could think of a lot of the later doctors doing. Okay. Where the doctor has to figure out what's going on with the, the illness, and he figures out between him and Susan that it's a poison, and then he goes and tracks down the source of the poisoning in the water system. That, to me... Spoke very much of something that maybe Tom Baker or one of the later Doctors would do. That, Whereas up to this point, he's been quite a different character. That's a
3: that's a that's a good that's a good thought because now that I think about it, um, every episode up until this point, he's getting into the action because he's kind of forced to. Um, mm-hmm. Like you know, like Marco Polo took the uh, took, took the a key from him, so he had to in, yeah. to engage um, the the keys of a uh, Marinus guy. Locked him out of the TARDIS, so he had to go through the motions. Um, But then you got like the uh, Daleks, where he's the one that instigates it because he takes out the Mercury or whatever. And uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah, this is the first time where he, of his own free will, is trying to do the right thing, and you you know, like Mm -hmm. do that, Doctor. Thing. Ah, I never thought of that. See, I need. I I've, I've only watched the series from start to end. Like back in the 80s, I, I kind of jump around now, and I kind of some sometimes I miss those little character development moments where if I was to if I was to just well well like well like now you know you asked me to be on the censorites I went to the shelf got the censorites put it in I hadn't watched the first six episodes leading up uh to it so to me it, it just seemed like oh the mm-hmm. doctor's doing what he always does he goes and he investigates and all that but this was uh. actually now that you mention it this was kind of a big character moment for him he's kind of i think those lessons he's learning from ian are really starting to pay off you know
0: yeah i think that's a very good uh a good point it's another plot on the graph of of the character's evolution mm-hmm. um and I, I do love that little montage of him doing science <laughs> oh and there's gosh. just like a little three second shot of him holding up two test <laughs> tubes and sort of pouring one into the other and then it fades to something else and it's like that's like a rocky training montage. Oh, that's, but and that sensorite an old has... old man doing science. That
3: sensorite has the most beautiful penmanship I have ever seen. I was completely really, Oh really? Oh, really, really, good.
0: really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get him to do my... If I ever have... Uh, you know, any other, you know, perhaps a christening, I want him to do the invites.
1: <laughs> In the commentary, the actor that plays him says, well, I don't know who on earth that is, but it's not my writing. That's really lovely. It's nothing like my writing. It's terrible.
0: So there was a, a stunt sensorite. A stunt hand,
1: yeah. Stunt calligrapher. I was trying to
0: think of the word, yes, a, a calligrapher. Oh, <laughs> a testicular calligrapher. But,
1: but you know, uh, if you are watching
3: this, and you want to go off of my theory that episode 1 is great and then it just goes off of a uh, cliff. Episode 2 is kind of, you know, it's okay, but by the time they get to the planet in that ep- in uh, episode mm-hmm. 3, you can feel free to just skip it because it's just it once they get to the planet, it's all just <laughs> mind numbingly ultra simple politics trot, and knife in the back politics and whimpering and mm-hmm. bloods ugh. I don't know. I mean, and the whole time I'm, like, watching this, I'm like, what happened to the sensorites that are supposed to be able to read a mind? So like, why do they have to Why do they have to argue mm-hmm. about if they can trust the Doctor and Ian and, and, and all that? Like, can't they just...
2: Yeah. Can't they just <laughs>
0: scan Get on with it, yeah! And, <laughs> and why do we have to listen to their interminable conversations about because it? Because they've got loads of episodes oh. to fill but before if, the next but story. But if they're all psychic, they just stand there looking at each other, and it just, <laughs> it just oh, doesn't work. It, yeah, I don't want to question the underpinning science of it. <laughs> oh, no, but, you know.
1: Okay, I've got one more positive uh-huh. thing to say, and then I'm out. Okay. You know, that... All right, shoot. Susan does a description of their home planet. She doesn't name it, so we still don't know oh, what it's yeah. called. Oh, um, She says the sky is orange and the trees are silver, and that gets carried right the way through the rest of the series, especially in the new series. When I was
3: back. actually wondering about that. I think that happens in episode six. Um I'm going to mm-hmm. amend my theory. If you if if uh, people listening to this, people with love in their, you know, hearts, if if they really want to get into this, you can totally watch episode 1 and episode 6, skip the 4 that are in the middle because 1 and 6 have the most I- interesting things, I I think. And one of them is that moment where mm-hmm. the first elder is talking to Susan and and says, oh, you Earth people, are so-and-so, and then Susan uh, corrects him, and she starts, she, she starts talking about Gallifrey, and um, I was actually mm-hmm. going to ask you you guys, um, have has, I can't re- uh, remember, has she talked about their planet before this, or is this the absolute first time where she's actually talking about the color of the sky and the leaves and all that?
1: I know they mentioned that they're from another planet and ad- another time in the, right. in the very first story, but... That's about it, really. Because it's so interesting that.
3: that when they made the new series, I guess Russell Russell T knew to go back mm-hmm. to this exact moment where Susan is talking about what Gallifrey yeah. looks like, and that's what they made Gallifrey look like in mm-hmm. the in the new series and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I just love, I love that. That is that is not fanwank. Yeah. That is that is being true to a mythology, man. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs>
0: It's very true. And sometimes the line between those two can be blurred. Yeah. But in this case that's yeah. fine. I mean we you know, you, you say um probably half in jest that people could skip episodes two, three, four, five, you mm-hmm. know, the first eight hundred episodes and just come back for the final part of this very long, very boring story. But all the way through it there is there is quite a lot of of innovation and firsts mm-hmm. and we've you know, we've un- unpicked, you know, it's the this Idea that the doctor's starting to act more like the doctor, and Susan mentions Gallifrey, and there's, I think, a fairly um, significant bit of conversation in part one, which I can't remember because honestly, I, I went so numb, all the blood <laughs> drained out of me. But um, yes, there are so many little moments throughout this story that, sadly, mm-hmm. do yeah. mean you you kind of do have to. Watch I all, I right? know you. Mean- t-
3: there there are actually two moments in the very beginning, and then somewhere in the middle, where they talk about where they're referencing stories that have happened to Susan and the doctor before they met Ian and Barbara. Oh, that that's is so right. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah, the middle bit is boring, but there are there's interesting little nuggets here and there, you know? Like um oh, I took mm. a note of this one thing. Um okay, Carol. We haven't really talked about Carol yet. She has a different hairstyle every every, every episode because she was just that bored. It does change, it? <laughs> she was that bored, it? man. Yeah. <laughs> But there's this part where okay, and um, I I realize we're jumping all all over the place, but you know there's a part where where you know they have brought zombie John David uh, Tenant guy down to the planet, and the Sensorites are going to try to cure him. So they have him under this weird hairdresser thing, getting his tips frosted, and um, Carol is talking to the scientist Sensorite about John's brain condition. And the scientist says that he's constantly afraid and crazy because mm-hmm. there's a veil in the fear center of his uh, of his brain that is supposed to shut, but it won't close. And Carol said, oh, that's just like a, you know, like a um, eyelid. And she points to her um, eye. And the sensorite looks down yeah. Yeah. like he's in despair. And... You know, just just like they freaking always do, and he says something like, "To see all the time is not a good thing." I mean, he doesn't have eyelids, and he's depressed that he has to see all of the time. And I didn't, and they never come back to that. And I didn't know what they were talking about, man. And but I was kind of thinking, you know, they talk about over and over and over how the sensorites are super afraid of the uh, of the uh, dark. And I think that if they actually had eyelids yeah. they would be thrown into a state of terror every time they freaking blink i mean all day long you would just hear them screaming every time their um eyes blink and so yeah it evolved to where they don't have eyelids so that they're not in a constant state of terror from the uh, darkness but
2: mm-hmm.
3: it's just these weird little things that they just throw in that it's worth watching once but it's not you know i don't think you want to go back to this over and over <laughs> It's not
1: necessarily one you're gonna watch for pleasure, is it? I
0: think the roads not taken in this are so much more like like that. Yeah. There's that's a really beautiful idea that you know, people who can't help but witness everything that happens and they can't, you know, close their eyes. That's a really good idea for a story, but that's just kind of thrown oh, away in the, absolutely. In the general uh, wash of, of the story. I mean I think
3: you're right. There are so many interesting premises that are set up. And just They they just They throw out In favor of this Whimpering Political Story And the The city head administrator Who Like realizes That they all look Alike So he steals The The sash Of the second elder And becomes the second elder But then Somehow Because Because the second elder Is killed He becomes the actual Second elder And this Machinations And messing up the map. I mean, all this, I mean, we thought we were going to get something where the whole episode is them trying to work out the, the mind thing and the brainwashing, or I swear halfway through the end of the very last episode is when they actually have the beardy evil humans pop up who has been, who has, who has been poisoning everything. I mean, they could have been Mm -hmm. brought forward a lot earlier some more stuff could have been done with uh, that, you know, that would... Yeah.
0: Yeah. One, of, You know, they could have kidnapped Susan, <laughs> and for two episodes she could have because been honestly, with them, and that would have I been...
3: thought that those bearded human guys were the best actors in this show. I mean, they were, especially the leader guy, I really believed that he was absolutely nuts. Something about the way they were uh, playing it, I just really was in, uh, engaged. Maybe it was be- because I had sat mm-hmm. through four episodes of... Whimpering. Oh, we don't like loud uh, noises. Oh, it's dark. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, oh. oh, we don't like
0: the, <laughs> we don't like your modern beat music. Oh, we d- we don't like any so noise afraid. after six p.m. We don't like ball games. <laughs> we don't. If like they're so petting.
3: afraid of the oh. uh, dark, how are they on the outside of the spaceship <laughs> in you know space where it's dark and?
0: Yeah, we don't like zero. How did they build the aqueducts if it's dark and scary? You know, (laughs) (laughs) Ah. oh, we don't like bricks. No,
3: I don't like that. No, leave me out. No, but but the point is, you know, I think that they're trying to say is that they're not really monsters; they're just misunderstood. So, hey, you, when you see someone who doesn't look like you, you better. Mar- I mean, yeah,
0: geez. If Six you ever episodes of just- you know, meet a guy oh. who's a huge testicle with round feet, you <laughs> damn well make friends yeah. with
1: that guy because he needs a buddy.
3: <laughs> but you got to keep your, there moment, keep your Come voice
1: down. keep your voice down. I've thought of one more positive oh, thing. I've got one more positive, one okay.
0: more positive thing as well. So one more positive that's thing. That's two. You go first.
1: The Doctor gets to pimp out in style with that super cool cloak because his coat gets torn oh, to shreds. it doesn't by go a bit broad of Dracula, movie. doesn't it? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's loving <laughs> he's it. He's swishing, swishing it and flying around it. like lord yeah. of
0: the manor, <laughs> loving it.
3: I, I found that to be the most unbelievable part because um, <laughs> why would the censorites how would they know to make a cloak? I mean, you don't see them wearing anything else except their like long underwear suits why didn't There's they bring out the doctor in, yeah. here's a long underwear suit for you sorry that you're coke got <laughs> yeah. well, I,
0: I do actually know the answer to that um oh yeah you, oh. you don't sort of see it in this story because they're wearing their sort of gray sportswear but there was going to be a, a sequel planned where all the sensorites go to the opera and they all Ooh. wear cloaks and and sort of tall hats and um, that that <laughs> nice. didn't get made because obviously peter newman had writers' Especially adapted but, uh, uh, opera glasses yeah, for that, their. and, and eyes um, don't no one would have done any singing because they'd have known the plot mm. of the opera. Well, I heard using their mind. Push.
3: <laughs> I heard that three that three episodes in that in that sequel were devoted to the sensorites arguing about. No, it's your turn to uh, drive. No, I drove the last time. Oh, I no. don't
0: like popcorn. No, I can't
3: I go at night. It's too <laughs> oh, dark. There'll be
0: a queue oh, no. for the gents in the interval. And all the opera is too loud. They're
3: attacking me with song. <laughs> it's too loud, man. It's... <laughs>
0: Now, my favourite moment in the story, um, it's a John moment. I think oh, yeah. it's from episode five or six, where okay. um, I think uh, his... What was the name of his girlfriend? Is it Carol? Carol! Yep. Carol yeah, Carol's Carol, yeah. Big hair she, Carol. She likes a, a mm. nice hot bit of meat, or, or, or words to that effect. And, <laughs> and John sort of laughs very theatrically and says, you'll have to make do with a
1: small juicy fruit. Now... <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure there was a double <laughs> meaning in that.
1: Oh my gosh. He's talking about the chewing gum in. Oh. Oh. What did you think it was? <laughs> oh. Anyway, do we have any more nice I have to a couple more. Uh I think it's
3: I think it's nice when uh Susan says her very very racist moment when the uh doctor is Trying to get the second elder slash city administrator to come and talk to him, and the second elder takes off, uh, you know, running. And then Susan says, "That mm-hmm. must have been really funny seeing them uh, run." And she starts to hold up her arms to imitate them oh. running, and she <laughs> and she actually says, "Flip flop, flip flop." And I know that that was kind she of was uh, so that was kind of you know racist, but. That is the first honest and believable dialogue I have ever heard Susan say, ever. I mean, it sounds so real to to what someone might actually say. I almost think it's like this ad-lib from uh, Carol Ann Ford. (laughs) And they just left it in, you know. Um, You
0: might well be right, because you are are so right in that that is a a real... Uh, yeah, sort of. And she actually
3: laughs or... in it, you know. <laughs> so... Yeah,
0: and, you know, <laughs> It's like something that they've maybe brought from the rehearsal room into the into right, the yeah. studio on the day. It's like, oh, like, there was it's... another yeah.
3: moment like like that too, when uh, Ian and the Doctor are in the aqueducts. I think it's episode six, probably, where uh, where Ian sees one of the evil beardy humans with his uh, pointy stick, and the Doctor has his back mm-hmm. to him, and he's like, "Doctor, Doctor, look." and the doctor doesn't see it but he sees a second beardy human with a, a pointy stick and he's like Ian, look and they both back up in, uh, to each other and they and they kind of jump it was a really funny moment that reminded me of the stuff that Patrick Trouton and Fraser Hines would always like throw in you know like they would yeah. work out some kind of like a funny moment and it, it really made me uh-huh. it, it really felt genuine and it made me think like i think William Russell and William Hartnell really liked working t- together for all the craziness mm-hmm. and everything they it, it just seemed like this really genuine, funny moment between two actors who are friends and trying to have a good time, you know? Um,
2: yeah, it's nice.
3: See, something else positive. Oh, Barbara's amazing tan in episode six. You know, uh, when she <laughs> comes back, it's just so obvious that she's been on a beach somewhere, oh. and it's glorious, man. <laughs>
1: and, it's just so good to have her back, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah.
3: The minute she comes back, I'm just like, ah, oh, everything's better now. Thank you. <laughs> and let's see. Uh, I've got a couple more things. I think one of my favorite things about episode six is how you can see where everyone just stopped caring. Absolutely just stopped caring. <laughs> like <laughs> the writers, the producers, the actors. It, it's like... It really shows just how tired everyone is of this story, by episode six, and they just want out. Like, okay, here's some examples. They find the bearded evil humans hiding in the uh, tunnels who think that they're still fighting a uh, war. They walk out, they get caught by the censorites, and they're like, oh, well, and they shrug their shoulders and wop off. They just stopped caring. Um, there is yeah. no trial or social upheaval when the source of the plague is found. No, they just sent the evil humans home. Whatever. They stopped caring. Uh, we don't see John and Carol get back together and fly off in their new happiness. It, it happens off screen. They they just stopped caring. They just didn't bother showing it. Um, they they. Oh, my gosh. One of the really frustrating things is in the beginning of uh, episode six, Carol has been kidnapped by the evil second ad administrator guy, And she sees Uh the evil second administrator guy. And then later on in the episode, whenever she's free, she doesn't say who it was that was um, holding her. So the the second uh, administrator guy is actually asking Barbara and Susan, did uh, she say who it was that was uh, holding her? And they're like, no. Was it someone in this room? Yeah, and and it's like, (laughs) they didn't bother asking Carol, oh yeah, it was the guy with the uh, black sash, you know. And, And then when they come back from the aqueducts, there is no closure with the evil second administrator's second elder guy. I mean, we had to listen to his insane conspiracy theories for like four episodes Talking about how oh they're they're just faking being <laughs> sick. Oh, they're gonna go and get spaceships and come back and kill us all. I will be the second administrator. Nobody looks this the same if you're not wearing ties. And and you you don't see the evil <laughs> second elder he you never see him getting confronted or captured. He he never has a big showdown with the uh, doctor. He's just banished off screen because they just stopped caring. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I, I think um, another plus, I like how Hartnell loses his uh, cool and shouts. I mean, because it, it, it's just funny to me, because they're so whimpering and, and Hartnell's just losing his cool, and he just looks like he's having fun shouting, so yay, Hartnell. Um,
1: he's not taking any crap from anyone, <laughs> is he?
3: Something else good, I, <laughs> I honestly like how they try to make the aliens look like individual aliens. Like, yeah. the
1: masks are all... And they give them the society yeah, as well. He... I know, it's, you know, not necessarily the most exciting thing but they are mm-hmm. they're not just one-dimensional bad guys yeah. you know they are but think about aliens and up until aliens. this
3: point the the uh, daleks all look the same the Vord all looks the same but the sensorites they've mm-hmm. they've got slightly different masks um you, you know they they it just wasn't like a cookie cutter alien they really tried to make them like a society in like a weird way so that's kind of good but I and I'm glad that the whole thing exists because that means I have not spent years wondering what it like looked like and obsessing over its loose <laughs> cane and recon. Um
1: Can you imagine if you'd spent twenty years saying oh, how it was your favorite story oh and you wished it would come back and then it came back and you watched it and thought, Oh <laughs>
3: So because a bad story exists, it has saved my O C D for more deserving mm-hmm. stories like Dalek Master Plan. So thank you, BBC, oh, yeah. for not burning this, I guess. So
2: <laughs> So
3: I think my final takeaway is that it's sad. There's so much promise here. And if you want to skip censorites, I don't blame you. Because mm-hmm. there's some stories that have bad reputations that don't really deserve them, like the gunfighters. You guys haven't got there yet. Yeah. But when you do, mm-hmm. it's not as bad as people say it is. But... The sensorites—it—it kind of deserves its reputation of being slow and boring. But I, I'm telling you, you mm-hmm. owe it to yourself to at least watch episode one because there's some genuinely interesting, yeah, goods stuff happening. Um, it's kind of mm-hmm. like the space museum in a weird way. Like you know, that first episode yeah, is yeah. really good, and then it just evolves into mm-hmm. three episodes of running around and but yeah. so anyway, spoilers. That's what I think. <laughs> And then it leaves you on a cliffhanger. The doctor's going to throw Ian out of the TARDIS the next time they land. What's going to happen? Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Unless you guys have got anything else to say, I think we should wrap up our review and give it a score out of 10. Okay. Ooh. So, Ian, I'm going to come to you first. I have a feeling this is going to be possibly your lowest score so far.
0: Um, I'm going to... Let me think about those. So to be fair, we've gone. we've gone with a couple of sevens eight, mm-hmm. it's a three.
1: Ooh, that's that's low. Yeah, that's low. Mm-hmm. okay, I um I think what saves it is the first episode and possibly a bit the last episode as Ben was saying. If not for those then it would have been a lot lower. I am going to give it a 5.
3: Ooh. You averaged it out. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ben.
3: Do you know how when um they look at the very first story and they always say it's Unearthly Child plus 3 boring stories in a uh, cave, you, you know, so they always yeah, tend yeah, to yeah. they mm-hmm. always tend yeah. to say yeah. episode 1 of uh, Unearthly Child is 10 out of 10 and the rest of it is blah blah blah. Yeah. I'm going to do that here. Uh-huh episode one of the sensorites is a nine out of ten for me there's so many good things okay. the the imagination the promise the premise the uh, set design um, it would get a 10 out of ten but that Maitland's acting is just it you know
2: <laughs>
3: episode two through six I I gotta I want to say three but there's still some good stuff to speak around. I'll give it a four mm-hmm
1: Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But anyway, enough of what we think about the sensorites. We want to hear what you guys think about the sensorites. It's time for some feedback. I've got mail! Okay, it's time for feedback. I have to say, this is the most feedback we've had so far. I want to thank everyone for taking the time out to tweet us and comment on Facebook. It's been brilliant. So... Let's dig into it. I put out a post saying, "What do you think of the sensorites Underrated classic or interminable Tosh?" And this is what you guys had to say. So, in terms of what I have, we've got Harry Draper, who's at Bowtie Animation on Twitter. He said, "No, I don't think Donald Tosh wrote it." <laughs> 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 I love it. <laughs> oh, yes. And we have at Paul Morris seventy-seven seventy-seven. He says, "Underrated classic." It's too long and there's some poor acting. The basic plot is sound. Okay. okay And next we have Ollie Ako at Ollie Reviews 99 and they say underrated classic. So it's sounding fairly positive so far. We next we have the lovely David Kitchen from the Doctor Who show. Uh, David says let down in part by some poor acting and a slow initial pace. However, things do pick up well as the story goes on. Hartnell is very strong here and like the best of his era there's a strong use of imagination with the creation of a new and very different world for the TARDIS crew to explore. Also, as Mad Larry Miles once pointed out, this is a very important story for the show as for the first time the Doctor sticks around to solve the problem just because he wants to help out. As we said, yeah. Even after curing Ian and making peace with the sensorites he stays around to work out the cause of the problem worthy of a second look thank you David hmm. and next we have Gareth and That's at Liquid Paranoia on Twitter he says it's ambitious the realisation is okay I like Susan gets to be properly weird it's an alright story <laughs> which I think is uh, fairly common from a lot of our correspondents thanks for that uh, Keith Say says both so it's it's Utter Tosh and uh, a classic. Classic Tosh. I can kind of see where he's coming from. yeah. Classic Tosh, yeah. Classic Tosh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Walter M. at Harligator68 says, I seem to recall it being much more on the interminable side. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get too many <laughs> arguments from us guys here. Al Reviews Who, at Al Reviews Who on Twitter. The former, so he says it's a, a classic. When I watched it for the first time, I found the second half really dragged, but now I find it a really enjoyable story. So, thank you for that. We have Lewis Stans Frobisher, at butters underscore Lewis. The first two episodes are fantastic and the rest isn't as good, but I still like the rest just because I'm a 60s weeb. I'm not (laughs) sure what a weeb is, but... uh... (laughs) Thank you for that. Rachel Wilde, who is at R A Wild? all I can say is that Ian wearing that shirt is sexy well, wow. there you go I, I, I don't know if uh, she means Ian Chesterton
0: yeah, not you Ian
1: uh. no, no, no Antonio Amaral uh, that's at Crinoid Roots says the first two parts are great and then it turns into a political thriller and gets boring hmm Irving Braxiatel at St Merin says it's ambitious and I want to love it, but it's rather silly with some great moments. And we have a CEO of Six Doctor Apologists at D Manady, <laughs> and they say I love the sensorites and the first couple of eps are nice, but overall it's very weak. We have two more from me. We have Two Monkeys review, and their Twitter handle is at We Underscore Claude. It's pretty good. Not as boring as its reputation suggests. It's interesting that some of the sensorites are sympathetic and some of the humans are bad. Kind of novel for early Who. Plus, I have a soft spot for anything with the original TARDIS crew. Yeah, they are great, aren't they? Yeah. And finally, for me, we have Robin Parry at Robin Parry on Twitter, and they say I enjoyed it and was unclear why it was often considered naff and their faces are terrific. So thank you all for your feedback. And um, we're going to go to Ben next. Ben, who do you have there?
3: I have a message here from the Doctor Who show at the DW show. They say, quite shite. <laughs> 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 I almost said, uh, I almost said, quite shite. <laughs> Quiet shite. I love that band. Come on, feel the quite noise. Quite shite, yeah. Quite shite. Quite, quite shite. Yeah, very nice <laughs> and to the point, DW show. Thank you. Uh, Tim. <laughs> Tim at uh, Doctor Who Podcasters says, could do with being four parts shorter, exclamation And it's got mm-hmm. two hearts to it. Thank you, Tim. Uh, 42 to Doomsday at 42 to Doomsday. Mark and Rob, hey, guys. They say, it's a slog, with three exclamation points. Mm-hmm. The book is better, IMO, but that cliffhanger is pretty cool. Yes, thank you, Mark and Rob. Yeah. Oh, they those guys, 42 to Doomsday, they put the fun-der down under. <laughs>
1: they do. I heard some feedback from some guy called Ben in Indiana on their last episode I listened oh, to. Oh,
3: that's my evil clone. Where am I, oh, the evil right? clone, and that was the good one. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the Sirens of Audio at Audio Sirens say, I wouldn't say that it is interminable, but it's pretty hard going. I love the concept of it and get excited when I start watching, but it's probably the slowest moving story of series one. Thank you, sirens. And finally, Harry Whitley or Whitley, I think it's Whitley, at mm. Harry underscore Whitley says love it. Oh, very succinct. Love very this. succinct. Not quite as succinct as quiet shy it, <laughs> but you know, hey, love it. What are you gonna do? <laughs>
1: Ian, let's what have you got let's for see
0: us? if I've got anything that can compete with the brevity of quite shite, <laughs> Jeff Waddell. Bit now I'm not sure if he's beginning with an epithet or a comment here. He says, "Oh, he, he's either saying Hartnell on fire or he's saying Hartnell on fire." Either way, that's a terrible <laughs> mental image. Um, he goes on <laughs> to say, "Hartnell on fire," an excellent four-part story, isn't it always? but too long at six episodes. And he's right. The sensorites <laughs> are a bit dim, but there's enough in here to make it entertaining. <laughs> hmm. that, that's my Ooh. own hmm. I'm putting those in yeah. there. The first two parts are more interesting and suspenseful than what comes after, but good nonetheless. So thanks mm-hmm. for that, Jeff. Uh, then we have uh, Alistair Micklejohn. He says, uh, not a massive fan of the story, but William Hartnell saves it. Um, which is you know debatable Uh, Mary F at Mexter says so very long bores the life out of me I think Mary F is possibly my spirit animal and and we should maybe um, retire to a desert island together and never watch the sensorites (laughs) Peter at the Sentai guy says it's nothing spectacular but I enjoy it all the same which uh, shows, um, you know, uh, admirable lack of... um...
1: They've got a bit of stamina there, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, Mary Claire,
0: hashtag bring back the sensorites. I've Mm. got a hashtag of my own here. Please don't. (laughs) Uh, Not even the New Adventures brought back the sensorites, and I'm looking at them all right now.
3: Wait, seriously, really? Yeah, never. The New Adventures didn't... And yeah. did Big uh, Finish do oh, the like a a, box set? They've
0: probably got three box Yeah, sets
1: they've probably now. done about ten Okay, seasons. all right, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. The mind
0: powers, we love stories. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did we get to? The Who Society, underrated classic. Yes, the pacing has issues, but there's such wonderful imagination and charm. Actually, that's probably true. That's another very good mm-hmm. and very even-handed comment. Uh, Matt Bjorkman, Says an enjoyable if mediocre story, so damning with faint praise there. Uh, Nigel <laughs> Nigel Walker, I enjoyed it. It's very much of its era, but still enjoyable. Harrison Chase, classic Tosh. James Stoker yeah. at Apoco Trout says it's both for sure. It has a lot of good ideas and a lot of atmosphere and charm, but its pacing is atrociously inconsistent. So all the good parts are separated. By like ten minute stretches where absolutely nothing happens. That's actually <laughs> that's actually what it says on the DVD cover. Liam um, <laughs> Self at Your Ultimate Foe. He's really not. Um, episodes mm-hmm. one to three are better than episodes four to six. But overall, I really like it. Bit of an outlier there. And Christopher Leeper <laughs> at Creative Chris Thirty Seven. Underrated. Now he's put that in block capitals, so he's really, mm.
1: really he really he means, means it. Really does. The clip. Well, that's what I love about Doctor Who fandom, because for every story, there's someone out there who really loves it. That's true. I love the horns of Nyman. Some people don't like it. They're okay, wrong, that needs to be. I a do love that show. That needs to be something that you
3: guys need to watch out for as you start this mm-hmm. twenty-seven hundred-year journey. You know, <laughs> take note. Are there any stories that you guys are going to do? where no one has anything good to say about it. There's oh, got to be one. Well. Surely there's one. Yeah. Colony in space. I'm looking right at you, man. Come on. <laughs> there's got to be one.
1: <laughs> I don't mind that. Oh I, really? I'm, I'm, oh, all right. right. I'm worried we about the going here. here. Oh no. Oh. So Thanks for that, Ian. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much again for all that feedback. It's been brilliant hearing from everyone and uh, keep it coming.
3: Oh, yeah. I I gotta tell you guys, I I can't wait to listen to the next episode of um, All the Time in Space, because I gotta know what happens. Does the Doctor actually toss Ian out of the TARDIS Mm -hmm. in the Reign of Terror? Does he throw him out of the TARDIS in the Reign of Terror
1: and leave? What's gonna happen? (laughs) (laughs) Da-da-da! He did kind of flip quite quickly, didn't he? It wasn't just a sort of gradual building of his temper until he just let fly. He just really just Turn on a sixpence. Isn't
3: yeah, it? that's that's actually a, a really funny scene because um, they they actually show a model rocket flying off, and it's it's actually a really good rocket. Actually, it shows yeah. it it it's flying and it kind of it kind of rot- rotates a little bit. It's.
0: I remember fact, thinking at the time I saw it that that is actually you know I've seen a lot worse effects in say eighties. Who? Yeah.
3: That, it was yeah.
0: it was you know for a little throwaway disposable shot. It was really I, nicely done. Actually,
3: is that the first spaceship we see in Doctor Who oh. in Series 1? Uh,
1: mm-hmm. I think yeah, you could I be think right. it is.
3: Well, I think there were the Sensorite kidney bean spaceships, but uh, you know, yeah, other than we don't that. Count <laughs> those,
1: they're not proper spaceships.
3: But, but anyway, like, Ian says, well, at least they know where they're going. And the doctor's like, implying that I don't. That's it. Get out. How dare you? let the door right. hit me? Wait, right. right. yeah. I'm
0: going to give you the beating of your life. Uh so so you know
3: people if you if you don't actually want to go and get reign of terror and see how ian manages to charm his way back into the doctor's good graces over the course of six episodes you you can just listen to the to the next podcast i'm sure mark will tell you
1: what happens so
3: yeah
1: (laughs) ben thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a pleasure as always to have you along
3: thank you guys ian mark i'm loving the new podcast i love the energy the conversation uh Keep it on going. I'm looking forward to Airzone Solution too.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you'd like to give a little plug to while you're here?
3: Nothing. I am a retired failed podcaster. I don't even think uh, the podcast you may that retired, I would be certainly not failed
1: <laughs> in my eyes. I don't think the podcast One of the most that I was entertaining podcast is out there.
3: Oh shucks, thank you. Uh, I don't think it's up anymore. It was called Tower of Technobabble. I yeah, think, we need to get
1: that back out on the air again. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I Even think if we uh, just get some reruns, because you know that's a good show.
3: Oh, maybe maybe Philip Morris can find some lost episodes and put it up oh, on the internet. Maybe. You never know. Ooh. But so the only thing I'm going to plug is Nerdology UK, and oh, um,
1: well, I hear that's a good show. All of time and space. So yeah, thank you guys very much. I thoroughly loved it. Thank you, Ben. So until next time. Thank you for listening, and we will be back next time with The Reign of Terror. So until then, goodbye.
0: Sorry, I was trying to find my umbrella because of The the Reign of of Terror. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye, Duggan. Goodbye.
1: If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at mailbagofrassilon at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at time and spacepod, And you can also find us on Facebook. If you want to leave some audio feedback, there is a link in the show notes. You can use your phone or your computer and leave up to 60 seconds of feedback. Or if you're listening via the Anchor website, you can click on the message button and leave your audio. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you to Momo Tempo for providing our theme music.